that bar my liberty I may not know just why Christ came to love me so he looked beyond all my faults and saw my needs amazing grace shall always be my song of praise for it was grace that bought my I may not know just why Christ came to love me so. He looked beyond all my thoughts and saw my needs. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me.
Praise the Lord. He looked beyond my faults and he saw my needs. As we come to worship today, it gives me great joy to shout out to Brother Sanford, who is celebrating a birthday today. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Shout out to all those who celebrated a birthday recently. All of you guys, wherever you are. Amen. As we come this morning, we come in the midst of a, a time, and I don't want to be an alarmist, Brother Nesbitt, but we come in the midst of a time where this world is falling apart. Just the other day, we woke up and we heard that there was a, an earthquake in California. And immediately, <laughs> the question was asked, is that the big one? It was just a six, just a six. But things are happening. We have that virus that is taking over Africa. What do they call it? Oh, you know it. Everybody know it now, right? And it's taking over Africa. And people are wondering what's happening. We have the modern day version of what they call ISIS. As you know, Isis is an ancient religion. It's the name of an ancient goddess. The ancient, the ancient goddess. I, I'm going to switch mics, right? The name of an ancient goddess, Isis, the god of love, some call it, the god of, of um, wisdom in other settings. Uh, she is a goddess. And um, Egyptians prayed to her for prosperity, Isis. But when I heard about Isis, I said, let me look it up. What is it? Is it uh, a, re a readaptation of this old religion? Are they digging up an old, 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 old myth? And, and are they trying to bring something new? And, I realize that no, it is, a, it's, it is another version of Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda taking over, but in another way. And so when I look this up, it's the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, Syria. And everyone is afraid now of this ISIS. They have showed that they mean business. If you think that Al-Qaeda was the, the real thing, terrorists, well, these guys are going around and they're beheading people, innocent people. 
And this shows us the, the evil of this world. They're beheading their fellow Islamic brothers. They are Sunnis and they say, well, we don't like the Shiites because, you know, the Shiites, they, we, were, we are battling them ever since the, the prophet Muhammad died and so um, we are at war with them. So they kill their brothers, they kill Christians, they kill anyone who is connected with the West. We're in a world that's very interesting that we see all of these different offshoot groups coming together. We see that wars are at hand, Russia. We see Israel, Hamas. All of these things taking place right now. And it's the fulfillment of Matthew chapter 24 or Luke chapter 21 or, uh, or Mark 16 coming to fruition. All of these things. We are told that these things must take place before the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But before I begin this message, my fellow brothers and sisters, I want to ask you a question. What state of mind are you in? What is your spiritual condition? How is it with your soul and your Savior? Is all well with you in your heart? If Christ was to come today, would you defy gravity? Or will you be like dung on the earth, smitten by the brightness of his coming? These are all important questions that we must ask. Pastor Bryant, happy to see you. If I knew that you were here, you will be up here. But you snuck in. You can't do that. I owe you. <laughs> or you owe me. <laughs> but folks, we're in a battle. And the battle is for our minds. Satan is, he's on the attack. And his aim is to attack us, to wipe us out. And he doesn't mean us any good. But as we come to church today, I believe that God has put a, a message together. And I want to tell you, I don't know quite what message it is. But by God's grace and power, we know that the Holy Ghost is still alive. Amen. Amen. We know that the Holy Ghost is moving. We know that he is alive and he is well. And Jesus told us, yes, we shall endure persecutions. We shall go through so much in life, but we are not alone. We have the power of God with us, the Holy Spirit. Yes, America is trembling because we're wondering what's next. But instead of looking to the President of the United States, instead of blaming the President of the United States, 
instead of being a, a talking head on, on these networks and blaming, why don't you be a part of the solution? The solution is prayer. The solution is recognizing a God that created the heaven and the earth and nothing happens on this earth without God saying yay or nay. Al-Qaeda can't scare us. ISIS cannot scare us. We're here because of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Earthquakes can't scare us. Amen? Financial ruin cannot scare us. Homelessness cannot scare us. We stand here because of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? And if it were not for Jesus, where would you be right now? Where would we be right now? Christians, let's not be ungrateful. Let us know that we serve an awesome God. And he is there for us. He has promised to lead us through. Amen? I want you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 verse 27 to 31. Luke chapter 5 verse 37, 27 to 31. Luke chapter 5. I hear the rustling of the page or the clicking of the iPad or iPod or iPhone. However you get there, as long as you're there. If you're there, let's say, let me hear you say amen. amen. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And it says, after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all and rose and followed. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. But the scribes, but the scribes and the Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, why do he eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Amen? Amen. They that are sick. I'm going to be speaking to you on the topic, the last letter. The last letter. They that are whole need no physician, 
but they that are sick. Let us pray. Father, we are asking, Lord, that you will come by here in a special way. Not in an ordinary way, Lord. We need your help. We need your direction. We are praying, Father, that you will come here and that you will open your word and make it alive in our lives. Make it applicable to us. Help us to relate to these words and that we will be able to see the power of salvation in these words. Lord, I pray that you will bring deliverance to your people, Lord, and that you will hide me, pride, or anything that exalts itself, hide it behind the cross. That the people will only see you high and lifted up. And that they will be drawn to you. Father, please let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my only redeemer. Amen. How many of us are whole? How many of us are whole? Let me see your hands. How many of us are feeling whole? Let me see your hands. Now I see you are saying, no, that's a trick question. The physician is here. We have come to the hospital. And if you come to the hospital, you expect to see a physician. the doctor you expect to see the one who is going to operate on you and so we are here at this church we are at this church that is a hospital for sinners am I coming through to you this is a hospital for sinners. And, and can, can you tell me what you see at a hospital? My brother that just yawned. What do you see at a hospital? <laughs> huh? Say it loud and clear. Sick people. Can you describe sick people to me? How do sick people look? Sick. How do they sound? <laughs> Sick people. How do they talk? Sick. That means that sick people are perfect. Is that right? They're sick. And so we are here at the Abundant Life Hospital. Who told you that it was a church? This is the Abundant Life Hospital. Do you get me? And so this place is a hospital. 
Some people treat this place as a hospice. Some people treat this place as a, a place that you, you come and you, you, you get something to soothe your pain because you know that you are dead any minute now. I remember working in, as a chaplain in, in the Royal Victoria Hospital in Montreal. And we were told as chaplains that we were going through the training. They said, you know, this is what you do, how you approach patients and, uh, and, and administer to their needs and so forth. Uh, there are some wards where individuals are coming in and they're just there for a day or they're there for a week and so forth. But there is a section in the hospital there is a, a section in the hospital where they are caring for patients, and these patients have hopeless cases. Jason, that is sleeping on the side pew, right? <laughs> these patients have hopeless, hopeless cases. That these people, they, they, are, they are put on this ward because there is no hope. The doctor has given that final call and that final bill that says that, hey, you will not survive. You are just waiting to die. And so the way we treat these individuals that's in this hospice is that these individuals, they are, 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 are led to feel comfortable. They have the softest beds. They have the best hospital rooms. And everything is set there because the aim of hospice is to make people comfortable. They are about to die. And so no hard pews are in hospitals. Cushy, soft pews. Comfortable. Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable? Right? Are you in a hospice or a hospital? I wonder. We got to understand. We got to understand what we're up against right now in the Abundant Life Hospital. If we know that this is a hospital where sick people come in, and sick people come in with coughs, and, and come in with wounds, and they're all bandages up, there's some people that's sick in their leg. There's some people that's sick in their hand. There's some people that is sick in their heart. There are some people that are sick in their head. How do we treat sick people? Do we treat sick people like they're whole? What I want to bring forth is that some of us, we don't understand the mission of why we're here. And if you don't understand the mission, what happens is that you would not act accordingly. You would not be able to minister or to the patients and to those within the hospital normally. 
You know, I remember there was this man that was in the hospital. We, uh, he came in the hospital because he had severe diabetes. He was swollen up. He had problems with his eyes and all of that. And, and this man, he was, he was a Christian. I think he was a Lutheran. A big, big, strong man. And this man, he, he had some issues that, and cravings that he could, not, he could not stop. And so the doctors, they told him, no more meats. Do not eat any of these fast food meats and uh, burgers and all of that. And this man, he was in the hospital and he could not help himself. And so we went on that ward as, as chaplains and, and this man was the talk because he had character, he was funny, he had everything. He was like a modern day, um, um, what's his name, Candy. You know that guy, John Candy? He was this comedian kind of guy and, you know, very funny. And so this man, one day, he decided that he was going to do the unthinkable. And he had a lot of money. And so he decided to pay off one of the orderlies to go down around the corner to a burger joint and buy him a burger. <laughs> Now, one of the chaplains was telling me about this. He saw this orderly coming up, not on the elevator, but on the back steps coming up to give this man his burger. And, and he said that what he saw, he saw this big burger, and I mean, it was just dripping all the grease and everything, and they brought it onto this man. Now, this guy, he broke the protocol of the hospital. You see, this, the doctor said that he should not eat this stuff, but the orderly was working behind the back of the doctor, and sneaking this stuff in. In a sense, the orderly was treating this man, this sick man, as a man that was whole. And I believe that we are guilty of doing that in the church. You see, Jesus had it all together when uh, Matthew, who was a sick man, who needed healing, and Jesus recognized that, that Levi, he needed this, and Jesus simply told him, listen, follow me. When Jesus told him these words, just follow me, that word made a difference. Because immediately, Levi, Matthew, followed. He woke up. I don't know if there was some magic in the word, but Jesus simply said, follow me. And he woke up and he followed and he came to Jesus. But then it says that after he rose and followed, he made a great feast and he invited everybody to his feast. Because you see, Matthew was in a transition. He was coming out. He was he, he was not locked in. Uh, as a Jew, he was a sellout before. He was collecting taxes. And as he was collecting taxes, he was cheating the people. But somehow when he came out, he decided to have this great feast. And he had everybody coming. Everyone coming onto his house. 
and there was a great company, as the scripture says, but as this great company came and sat down and was fellowshipping with Jesus, they were having church. They recognized there was a need. They were having church, and everyone came around him. It says, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against the disciples. Murmured against the disciples. They were looking at these people, the scribes and Pharisees who should know better. They were murmuring against the sick folks. They were murmuring against the people, the patients in the hospital. They were murmuring and they were saying, look at this. How could Jesus be doing this? How could he, be, he eat and drink with publicans and sinners? How could he be hanging around with these six, sick folks? How could he be doing that? And they were questioning Jesus. They were questioning the disciples of Jesus. And as they questioned and as, as they were uh, 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 poking at him, poking, Jesus answered and said that profound statement that they that are whole need no physician. Now that's why you guys didn't raise your hand. Because you recognize that you need a physician. Let me see how many of us need a physician. With the lifting up your hand, you're recognizing that you are sick folk. You're recognizing that you have a sickness, you have a disease in you. You recognize that if you need a physician, that means there is some sickness in you. Unless you're just raising your hand to be popular or just to be right. And many of us do. But let me, let me just break it down. It says, but they that are sick. They that are sick. So if that's the case, everybody, why do we treat each other so bad? Why, why do we step on each other? Why do we put ourselves and put on our scribe garments or our pharisaical garments and, and, and scoff at each other? Why do we come and, and we, we do not treat this church as a hospital? And so people come into this church and they come in broken and you act we act like we're whole. We act like we have it all together. We act like we have overcome sin. And we are all right. We are flying around paradise. We're in heaven already. We have made it. You, you know what it is when, when, um, when some um, black folk get some money in their pockets? I'm saying black folks, right? But anybody, right? But, it's, but, you know, black people have a walk. You know, they have a certain walk of success when you have the money, right? No, you have that walk, right? I, I, I pointed you out, right? You have that walk, right? When you have it all together, you think that you are that. It's true. It's true. 
And, and we tell ourselves that, hey, we have it all together. Now you have matriculated from this place and that place, and you have attained. You have the house. You have the wife. Have you seen my wife? I remember I, was, I, I did something very bad, and I'm confessing to you, right? And, and, and this, this lady thought that I was interested in her. Uh, as a pastor, she thought I had some kind of interest in her, and and uh, she she was trying to do what she thought that she could do. And I said unto her, I said, um, you know, have you seen my wife? Ha I mean, really, have you looked at my wife? I'm telling you. You can't be compared to my wife. And I know I should not have said that, right? But I, I, was, I was full with this pride, you know, and all of that. I have a beautiful wife and all of that. You know, and, and so just imagine that you have it all together. You have the, your bank account looks like this and not like mine. Your house looks like that, and not my mind, like not mine. You're able to walk, come to church with a new suit every week for six months. You have a shoes for every occasion. I remember walking to a house one day, and and uh, and the the owners of the house says, "Hey, hey, pastor, come, come, let me give a tour of your house." You know when when you go to someone's house, right, and they're so eager to give a tour. You know, there's nothing to hide. You know, you come to my house, I say, well, you know, let's fellowship in the living room. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? But these people, they were quick, let's, let's. And I mean, I went into this closet and I saw, I mean, every type of shoes. I see the dress shoe section on one side and all the different color variations and all of that. I looked aside and I saw all the sneaker connect collections and whatever could not be in racks was in boxes. You know some of you guys that collect shoes, right? I, I went and I looked at the tie collection and it was all, all arrayed in different colors. Then I look at the suits, I said, man, you have all the sweatsuits, you have all the dress suits and everything aligned and set up. And I, I, as far as you could see, everything was there. And some people, we believe that we have arrived because we have all of that. We have all, all, all of this stuff. We could, we could do it. We are the man, we are the woman, and we come to church with that attitude. You know, we come bobbing our head and everything, looking down and this sister and all of that. You know, I saw something the other day. A brother came into my office, and he came into my office. There was someone else in my, oh, pastor, how are you doing? You know, and shook my hand and everything. And there was someone else in my office, and that person didn't even, as we say, precate them. Are we guilty of that? 
You see, these scribes and Pharisees, they were doing just that. They had put themselves in a category. They had the garments, they had the bank account, they had the knowledge, they had the education, and they were uh, a people that just looked down on others. They, they, they had a caste system that was locked in, and they were saying, well, if you're not from this lineage, and if you're not from this tribe, if you're not this or that, you are nobody. You are nobody. And so when they came into their hospital, when they came into their church or whatever it is, they looked down and they saw people, oh, they just treated people like nothing, not recognizing that people are fragile and people are sick. There is a reason and there's a motivation for this message. There are two things that I'm going to be bringing out here. And one of it is directed to our leaders. And another is directed to our members and the way we treat one another. And the fact that we have our eyes off the goal. We have our eyes off the mark. And whenever you have your eyes off the goal and off the mark, you know what the coach is going to do? He's going to sit you down and you will stay there. And some of us need to be sat down because our head are so big, they can't even fit in the door. Pride. Pride. The way we treat people. I'm telling you, this is a message to our leaders. Our leaders, the way we talk to each other, the way we take our position, and because you are this position, and you are nothing, well, you can't sit with me. I'm better than you. Now, mind you, please, you may not say the words, but what we say, brother, I hear Brother Yancey saying, actions, actions speaks louder than words. And how, would, how do you Americans say, check yourself, right? Right? You got to check. You got to check yourself. You got to look and see the way you behave. Because someone does not theologically believe the same exact thing that you believe. Do you not come to church? Or do you find yourself in another place of the church building? I should have named this sermon. Maybe I should name it. Maybe you should scratch it out. I preached this some time ago. I don't think here. But a message to the rebellious. Maybe that should have been it. Some of us are so messed up in our own theology and thinking that we are on a paved path to heaven. We think that we have it all together. We think that we are so theologically savvy. Nobody can touch me. But wait until judgment. Wait until judgment. 
And so Jesus, he comes at them and in a mild-mannered way, he tells them what the physician's role is and who the physician came for. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we see another scripture where Paul is, is, is telling us what our aim, what we should be, what our goal should be as, as, as members within the fold, as, as a part of the body of Christ. He tells us what and how we should behave and in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you present your body as a living sacrifice. Leaders, are you sacrificing? You're called to be a leader, and you're going to understand. I'm going to put it all together afterwards, but are you sacrificing? Are you making your body a living sacrifice? Sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service? Paul is breaking it down and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. God has given you so much mercy. He has given you a brain. He has given you an intellect, everything that you need to be where you are in life. And some of us take all of that stuff and we say, well, thank you, God. I will take it from here. And we walk around in our glorified garments thinking that we attained what we have by me. I'm the one that did this. I'm the one that studied. I'm the one that broke through heights and that great men that kept and, and I toiled in the night while others, my companions, slept. I kept toiling in the light, night and I was the one I was the one, because of my studies, this is why I have this degree. And I deserve the, 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 the respect that I have. And I did it. It was me that worked hard, put my hands on, on my knees, everything together, and I worked and I got this house. I worked for it, I deserve it. After all, this is America, a place for the land, for, uh, for, for the free, a land for the free. And so I have done all of these things. I have attained. And we tell ourselves, we poison ourselves thinking that the position that we have right now, it is because of moi. It is me. And we fail to recognize that if it was not for God's mercies, if it was not for God's blessings, if it was not for God just 
pulling through and setting it up for you, you would never have reached where you are. You would have been on the dirt in wherever you came from. But God brought you and he dressed you up, fixed you up, educated you, gave your job, gave your wife a husband, good children, smart children, everything. God did it all for you. If it were not for the mercies of God, where will you be right now? Oh, ungrateful steward, ungrateful Christian. That doesn't even match, ungrateful and Christian. But unfortunately, many of us, we call it out. And we're living it, ungrateful. And some of us, we are so, our heads are so far beyond the clouds, you don't understand what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about you and me. Sometimes we are so caught up in that stuff, we don't understand the mercies of God. And you hold a position in church. And you're hardly doing anything with it. Let me see, just for... How many deacons do we have in the church? Stand up. Deacons. Deacons, 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 deacons. Where are our deacons? How many deacons do we have in church? Deacons. Oh, yeah, I see a little deacon back there from Utah. Praise the Lord. You know, I realize that sometimes Brother Spivey... No, keep standing, keep standing, keep standing. Keep standing. I realize Brother Spivey, head deacon, comes here so, um, on, on mornings. Our work is being done or whatever it is. He comes, open the church, all of that. We call for deacons, and many of them are not here. We can't find deacons, right? But I want to charge you, and I know that, yes, I've seen some of you deacons function and all of that, but God has called us into service. And I'm not just going to be picking on deacons here. But I'm going to call you guys to stand up again. Please be seated. But you see, look at this. And just watch this. We see here, God has graced us, gave us all these mercies. God is asking us now that we be a living sacrifice. Why? Because the very same one that gave you breath to work, the one that gave you breath to do all that you do and, and gave you wealth and all of that. He is the one. He is the very same one that we serve in the church here. Now, you're going to see where I'm going. And please, I know at the end of this sermon, you're going to want to stone me. You're going to want to stone me. But I'm going to read something because I am on, I, I'm up there as well. And you're going to see, I'm balanced here. God wants us, there's a sacrifice we need to be holy, acceptable unto the Lord. Now, this is our reasonable service. It says, and be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed. Many of us are so wrapped up in this world, we don't understand the mission here at the church. You are so wrapped up in, the ch in, in this world, there is, you come to church on Sabbath to pay your respect and all of that, but we don't see you until the next Sabbath if you feel like it. And so what we're seeing here is that some of us are so conformed and wrapped up with all that this world has. We're running with our girlfriends and boyfriends doing this and that and all of that. There is no God. 
And so what we're seeing here, it says, we are so conformed this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that he may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect, the perfect will of God. Do we have some transformers in the house today? If you are a transformer, let me see you stand. See, you don't understand it. The Bible tells us, are you a conformer or are you a transformer? If you are a transformer, if you are a conformer, stand. Let me see honest people. You're conformed to this world. The world is in you and you can't, I mean, you're just so wrapped up in it. Come on, everybody. The world, it has you. The devil has his hooks in you, everything. Yes, you are a Christian or you're on your way, but you are conformed. We, we won't be honest to say, yes, I'm a conformer. But let me break this down. If you are a conformer, either you're a conformer or a transformer. A transformer. It says, be, be, not trans, be he not transformed. By the, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you come out of this world into this church, when you come out of the world into Christ and allowing Jesus Christ to be your comfort and stay, allowing Jesus Christ to be your focus, there is no way that you should be mingling or messing up with the stuff of the world. There is no way that the devil should have his remote control on you. There is no way that you should be coming and scoffing and behaving like those Pharisees and scribes of old. And so what we got to understand, it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to renew our minds. He wants to renew. He wants to take the junk out of you. The stuff that has been wrapping, messing you up. He wants to renew your mind. That he may prove, that he may prove that what is good, what that is good. What we got to understand, you know, our mind, the very same thing when Adam, Adam in the Garden of Eden, all the trees, God made all the trees. I've been preaching about this all week. God made all the trees and all the trees in the garden and everything. And God, in the midst of the garden, he had the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And also the tree of life. And God told man not to touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But man went forth and he thought that he could outsmart God. And so he went and he took from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because woman wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil, and man wanted to choose woman over God. Break it down. That's what you see. The choice that Adam made was not the same that Eve made. Adam followed the woman because she was so beautiful. She was like a goddess. And he decided to choose the woman over God. And he messed up. Eve wanted to be like God, and she messed up. And we have a messed up society. That's exactly what's happening right now. But Jesus Christ came. This is why we say Jesus is the center. Jesus Christ came to set it straight. Jesus Christ came to make everything straight. And so what happened? Adam and Eve conformed. 
Adam and Eve conform, Jesus Christ came that we can be transformed. Do you didn't get it? You see, Adam and Eve conformed. They conformed. The devil, he had his posse and everything was going, you know, his way and he thought and all of that. And he was able to convince Eve and then Eve convinced her husband and the whole race was blighted. But Jesus Christ came, the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Jesus Christ came, he parachuted into this world. He showed us a better way. He told us that we truly have more power than we think. He showed us the power of prayer. He showed the power of the word. He showed us the power of witness. And as a result of that, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to help you to be a transformer. And if you truly accept this, I'm going to give you a new mind. And you will be able to know what is good and what is bad, but I will give you power to choose what is good. I will show you what is acceptable. I will show you what is perfect, the perfect will of God. Do you know what the perfect will of God is? Folks, as we see in this, Paul comes down now, and in his last letter to Timothy, he's trying to help this young man, this young leader, this young leader in the church, this young member in the church. He wants, them, wants him to know the higher ideals. And Paul comes down in his last letter to Timothy, pointing out the duties devolving around him as a minister of Christ. And he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. And the apostle wrote, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It said, flee youthful lust. There are mistakes that young people make that old people are making even right now. I don't think you understand that, right? There are mistakes that young people make yeah, they slip because they're developing. Their brain is not developed until 25 or so, or not finished developing until then. But we see some of these old people, old women, old men, walking around behaving like young people. Walking around, I mean, you have these guys walking around, these old men, you know, 60s and all of that. They're, walking around like a star boy? Are, are these women walking around as, you know, all grandmas, all wrinkled up, walking around and, you know, clubbing like these young people? The Bible tells us that we should flee youthful lust. And I'm telling you, this is why the church is so messed up right now, because we are allowed the world. Yes, you're trying to make it together, and you know, you're coming to church at least, and all of these things, but God is calling you into a higher calling, a higher commitment. You got to know your substance. You got to know your calling. You got to know who you belong to. But I believe that many of us don't know who we belong to. And because we don't know who we belong to, we, we just act the fool. 
anything goes. You know, you know, people, they're all messed up in this way that, you know, any wind, as the scripture says, any wind of theology blows, they're there. They're here. They're there. There's no standard. There is no foundation. And I, I believe, especially in this society of Vegas, we need to embrace this and understand that God, he brings us through your, ex you've gone through your experience for a reason. Now, I, I, I like my, my, my brother, and one day you're going to give your testimony, you know, yeah, you were a gangbanger, right, back then, but you're a gangbanger for the Lord now. You have fled the youthful lust. You are standing firm and sitting firm now with your wife. You're not running after anything else. You're, but too many of us, we're, we're running after this stuff still, not recognizing that God has given you the victory. And the worst thing for us is not recognizing we have the victory. We have overcome already. All you have to do is claim the prize and move with God. The Bible tells us that we should flee youthful lust. And as it, as it comes down, it tells us we should rightly divide the word and not flee youthful. It said, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that are called, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is what the counsel he gave. But foolish and unlearned question, avoid. Avoid this. Knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of God must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Act to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preventure will give them repentance, to the acknowledging of truth. That's the word. That's the word, everybody. And so we got to understand here. We got to understand what we're up against here. I have preached a couple of sermons from this desk. And I realize that we have too many social Christians coming to church. We have too many social leaders just, just coming to church. We're just here for this, just to mingle and, you know, to touch base with my peoples. We're just here. That's all it is. There is no spiritual depth. There is no growth. There is no meaning to your religion. And you come to church, and I know it doesn't apply to everybody, but listen, this is a, I, I have to use the, the broad machete, Right? You know, a machete, you know, a machete, it, it has two purposes, right? I could cut you or I could slap you. I could slap you with the side of it or I could cut you with the blade. It's not my intention to cut anybody, but I want to slap you. <laughs> I want you to wake up. I didn't want to preach this. But I'm forced to preach this because the thing is, I see stuff happening here. And too many of us, we don't realize that truly our life is on the line. Leaders in the church, your life is on the line. Our life is on the line. We don't understand. 
I want to read you something here as I'm going to be concluding here. Because as a minister, I have a responsibility. And if I don't take this responsibility serious, what's going to happen? Your blood is going to be on my hands. And I don't like blood. The only blood that I, I want to be associated with is the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't want your blood on my hands, but I want the blood of Jesus Christ all over me. Ellen G. White writes this. And just check this. Ministers of the gospel sometimes do great harm by avoiding their forbearance towards the erring, erring of a degenerate and intolerance to sin and even participating in them. Thus, they are led to excuse the palate that which God condemns. And after a time, they become so blinded as to commend the very ones whom God commands them to reprove. And it's hard for me to condemn you in a particular sin if I am participating in it. And so if I'm into pornography, if I'm into prostitution, if I'm into all of this stuff, do you think I'm going to be preaching against it? If I am running around with some silly wives in and out of people's houses, if I'm stealing, am I going to speak against it? No. And so this is what it's telling us is that sometimes when we see it and we don't, as leaders, please leaders, when we see something and we don't stand up, and we don't say, thus saith the Lord, and we do not stand up for the right standards, guess what? Eventually, you will find yourself in a weakened condition that you will do the very same things. And so what we're seeing here is that if we, we become blinded and, uh, to the very ones that we can't even reprove it, and then it says, he who has blunted his spiritual perception by sinful leniency towards those whom God condemns, uh, will ere long commit a greater sin by severity, severity and harshness towards those whom God approves. Acts of the Apostles 504. The last one, true ministers of God will not shun hardships or responsibility. From the source that never fails, those who sincerely seek for divine power, he draws strength that enables him to meet and overcome temptation, to perform the duties that God places upon him. The nature of the grace that he received enlarges his capacity to know God and his son. His soul goes out in longing desire to do acceptable service for the master. And as he advances in the Christian path, he becomes strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Sister um, Lafon, you talked about that this morning. The grace enables him to be a faithful witness 
of the things that he has heard and does not despite or neglect the knowledge he has received from God, but commits this knowledge to faithful men who in their turn teach others. Folks, what we have to understand, I have a responsibility. Leaders of the church, you have a responsibility. Can I see the leaders, please? Are you a leader in the church? 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 You ought to be. Are you a leader in the church? Leaders, stand. Do you serve in any capacity within this church? I'm telling you that God wants to work through us. We are told that the spirituality of the church will rise no higher than us. So if you're messing around, don't expect the church to go higher spiritually. Just think of the worst thing, sin, that you keep on giving power to the devil to have control over you. Just think of that. That's where the church is right now. You may not know what's in someone else's backyard, but you know what's in yours. And God is calling us to be victorious. And I realize, you know, sometimes God wakes me up in the middle of the night and pray, and I don't know why I'm praying because I don't see clearly, but maybe I see something afterwards. But I'm telling you, there is a spiritual warfare going on right now. I don't come to the church and tell you, hey, I visited this home, and there was a devil in this home, and we had to cast the devil out. But yes, we have done it here in this church. And I'm telling you, we have to be serious with our calling right now. God has called you to be a deacon, a deaconess, an usher, a greeter in the church, or whatever post you have. Stand by your post, recognizing that whatever you are doing spiritually in you affects the church, because you represent the church. We represent the church. And if I and you do not stand up for the church, you know how some people, they come to me already and they say, hey, you know, pastor, that person over there, so I said, did you talk to them? Did you pray with them? And you know my policy, right? If you're going to come and talk to me, we are going to go and talk to them. And some of you, oh, no, I can't do that. Don't come to me then. Church. It's time. We are in the hospital. You guys are the nurses and the doctors around here in the hospital. Amen? The members, you come in. You work in the hospital as well. 
You're all a part of it. Visitors coming in and all of that. We got to care for them. We got to find some way to help them to be whole. Because when Jesus Christ comes, when the master physician comes, you know when Jesus comes to town, right? What happens, right? Everyone that touches the hem of his garment is healed. Even those that cannot be touched, he whispers a word. He may say, follow me. He may be say, go to thy house. Thy servant is healed. It's done. Folks, it is time as leaders of this church for us to take a stand and mean it. And mean it. It is time for us to commit ourselves and recognize that your spirituality will deter determine the destiny of people that is looking at you right now. There are people right now that may not make it because they have looked at you and your mess and how you deal with your mess. And it's time for God's church to stand. In two weeks, our almost a month, we're going to be in a crusade, thy kingdom come. And this is another view of the sanctuary, the kingdom. And we need the army. We need everybody, members and everybody to be involved in this. We're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. This is a, the next activity that we have. We want you to be involved in it. Amen? Amen. We want, we are here because we're a hospital. We want sinners to come in, and we want them to meet the physician, and we want them to be whole. Amen? And so I want you to do your part in whatever it takes. Church members, there's some of you that should be standing that is sitting. And you keep on saying no to God, no to God. I'm too busy, I'm too busy, or whatever. You have the talent, people are bleeding out, and you have the gift to operate. But you don't, and lives are dying because of you. If you're in this category, and you know you should be standing, you know you should be a leader, and you have an interest in some way or another in the church of God to be an active disciple, in the kingdom of God, whether whatever category you're in, if you're not even a member yet, but you know that God is calling you into active service, into active service, I'm asking you to stand. God is calling you into active service. Stand. We want to pray. I'm going to pray for all of you that are standing. But as I conclude, as you play something, Dr. Ellis, I know there's someone in here that want to give their life to Christ. And I want to pray for you in another way. But I'm going to ask you to come down and join me here. You want to give your life to Christ. You want to say, listen, you know, I have been torn up in this world. 